tonight, turn to Revelation 7. Revelation chapter 7. Uh, chapter 7 is a parenthesis. Through, through the book of Revelation, you'll find that along the way, the scenes jump from earth to heaven, from earth to heaven, from earth to heaven. Um, chapter 7 is one of those parentheses. There's, there's a stop uh, in the midst of these first uh, seals uh, that we've looked at. And all of a sudden, it seems like it's kind of out of place, but it's really not. It's just a, it's a parentheses in, in, in the midst of what the writer is writing. And so um, let's look at that. We're going to be talking tonight about the 144,000 um, because there's quite a bit of discussion. There's quite a bit of misunderstanding, quite a bit of teaching that uh, teaches, there, well, three things specifically that, that you'll run into as you study these 144,000. Uh, the first one is, and which I believe is the right one, is there are literally 144,000 Jewish believers who are set apart by God, and there are, um, they are from each tribe of the uh, nation of Israel. Okay? Uh, there's also a teaching that says that it's, um, this is not a, um, uh, a, a literal number. It's a representation of a whole lot of people. And then there are also those that believe that these are from all walks of life. Um, and, and specifically what they have done is they have, they have replaced Israel with the church in, in that teaching. Um, you might call that a dispensationalist. Some people, some people believe that each, each dispensation, there are periods of time that are set out. And so these would be people that would say, well, you know, God's, God's vision is on, on the church now, and it's the church, and they've replaced the church. I think the most outrageous, and this is not to, to make light of, of Jehovah's Witnesses, but uh, they believe that they are the 144,000. They believe that there's only going to be 144,000 people in heaven, um, and that they're coming from the the uh, the 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 group of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, one of the things that they will tell you, because the number of Jehovah's Witnesses has grown way past 144,000, they believe that there will be a select group of 144,000 that will be in heaven, and then the rest of them will be on earth during the millennial. Uh, there was a question that was asked, one, uh, about uh, how do you know whether you're one of the 144,000 or not? And the answer was, well, I don't. Uh, how, how, what gives you better, a better chance of being one of those 144,000? And um, the answer was, is, well, knocking on doors. Uh, working, yeah. And so um, here's the thing. All of us. Now we make all kind of jokes about seeing them, seeing them, you know, come. And um, but the fact of the matter is, is that we we have a we have a gospel that they need to hear too. I think one of the things that we can do if if we have one of the witnesses come to our door is talk to them about the hope that's in us and about our belief, and then also at the same time, if you can point them to the scripture, uh, one writer one one guy said one time, just ask them what tribe they're of. Uh, because specifically, it, 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 it lays it all out here, 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, one, of the, one of the, you can get into all kinds of crazy things 
uh, multiples of 12 and 1,000 and 3. And, and these guys multiply all these things together and come up and talk about the representation of the grace of God through this large number of people. Um, just all kinds of things that will give you a headache if you're not careful. Uh, I think personally, the best thing that you can do when you're studying prophecy is to take it literal, as literal as you possibly can, unless somewhere else in Scripture there is uh, a passage that will direct you in a different direction. Now, remember that the book of Revelation is a book of signs and symbols. Okay, it, it just is. Here's the interesting thing. I was talking to somebody Sunday morning, and we were talking about some of this, and I said, you know, the, the thing about it is, is that when John wrote to these people, they knew exactly what he was talking about. It, it would really be nice, you know, if we did. Um, but there are, some, there are some keys along the way in the Bible that kind, to, um, kind, kind of talk about who those are. So anyway, let's look at this. There's an interlude here. We'll look at verses 1 through 8. Uh, and just read those, and then um, also, if you want to put your finger in Revelation 14, they're mentioned again in Revelation 14. We'll look at a little bit of that tonight, too. After this, after what? After this, after, after the six seals have been opened, okay? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow. No wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Four corners of the earth, I'm going to tell you what, there's all kinds of writings out there with commentators too trying to say, well, you know, the Jews believed in a flat earth and corners and all that kind of stuff. The fact of the matter is, is that they, they did believe in the four points of the compass and they believed that, that winds that would come from uh, north, east, south, and west were, were blessings. But if it came diagonally, then uh, that, was, um, that, that was a curse when the winds came. So it, all kinds of Jewish belief, all kinds of, all kind of things tied into this. fact of the matter is, is that God sent four angels to keep the wind from blowing. Now, wind uh, in Scripture, too, is, a, um, is an analogy for judgment. Okay? But... I think literally again here, saying, let's don't blow on the earth, don't, don't do anything. Because think about the violence that we've seen in the opening of these seals. The very last seal that was opened affected the environment. And so, um, you know, with the earthquakes and all these other kind of things that were going on, um, hold that back just for a minute. Don't, don't unleash it uh, quite yet. Just, just settle it down a little bit, I think would probably be the, probably be the, um, the idea here. If you want to, um, I made a little notation in, in, my, in my Bible, I circle that word, uh, holding back, um, piling up to overflowing. So what's happening is, even as the angels are holding back the winds of judgment, or the winds themselves, judgment is piling up this whole time, okay? Because we had said, you remember last week, that, that the seals were pretty bad, but the trumpets are going to be worse. And so he said, don't blow, don't blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. That's from the east, okay? Um, John would have been writing. He would have been paying attention. Jerusalem would have been to his east. So coming from the direction, ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, 
don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed, here it is, from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Okay? You can't get around that, y'all. You just can't. You can't spiritualize that at all from the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. And if, if you can't get around that one, you certainly can't get around this one. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, from the tribe of Asher, from Naphtali, from Manasseh, from Simeon, from Levi, from Issachar, from, from, Zeb, from uh, Zebulun, and Joseph, and Benjamin. He, he names them right off. Now, I'm going to show you something in a minute because this is a little bit different than what you see in the Bible. And I think there's, there's a reason for that, and I'll share that with you in a little bit. So, so they're holding back this, this, this judgment until God can seal 144,000 evangelists or preachers. Okay, and I, I, I have some comments about that. So, so let me just, let me just uh, for a moment, if you would, if you'll just if you'll hang with me. Um, in, in Esther chapter 8, in verse 8... So, so I, you know, I wrote the question now when I'm making my notes as I look through. What, what is the seal? Uh, in Esther chapter 8, there is mentioned this signet ring or this ring that belongs to the king. And it basically just says everything that the king decrees cannot be undone. So if a king makes a decree and he stamps it with his signet ring, it can't be changed, okay? So the fact of the matter is, I'm going to seal them, and the idea behind that is, is that that cannot, that cannot be changed under any circumstances. Now, I want to show you something, if I can find it here, in the book of Ezekiel. And you can flip over there with me if you want to. Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 9. And I want to show you something. I thought I had all this. Oh, yeah, I did. I had it marked. Ezekiel chapter 9. Now, listen to this. Then he cried out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Draw near, O executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. Behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his shattering weapon in his hand. And among them was a certain man clothed in linen with a riding case at his loins. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of the Lord of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been. This is in the, in the Holy of Holies part there. Uh, from which it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed in linen, whose loins, um, who, who's, uh, at whose loins was the riding cloth, or the riding case. Then the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan, over all the abominations which are being committed in this midst. Okay? So he says that he has his angel. He goes through. He, he marks them in their foreheads. And then he just annihilates everybody else. So, so the seal is the mark of God that is placed on God's servant or, God, or one who God has set aside for a purpose that will be um, explained later. So, so you, 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 have, you have here, you have 144,000. You have the winds of judgment being held back. 
And this angel is to go through and he's to place a mark on the foreheads of every one of these people. Now, I want to show you something here because really a, uh, the, the seal really carries with it the idea of protection and possession. Okay, so God is saying, listen, I'm going to protect these because these are mine. He set aside specifically these 144,000. Now, I want to show you something here because it becomes important. Because I was reading a guy this morning just, just trying to catch up on some things, and he believed that the 144,000 were saved during the preaching of the two witnesses who come a little bit later. But I want to show you this. This, this becomes uh, pretty interesting. He says he calls them in Revelation chapter 7 his bond servants. Do you see that? My, my, my bond servants. Let me find it again for you here. And so he says, and I saw another angel ascending, and, and I want you to seal these. I don't want you to hurt anything until we have sealed the bondservants of our God. So they were already, they're already believers, okay? At this point, they are already believers because he calls them his bondservants. Now, now here, here's, a, here's a great question. Um, when were they saved? I wrote that one down today, and I, and I did a little research on that one too. When were they saved? Um, there's this visible sign on them. It's in their foreheads. And he calls them my bondservants. The question for me then would be because this is the beginning, the front end of the tribulation. When were they saved? Maybe it was because of the preaching of the two witnesses, which I'm not real comfortable with that. But here it is. Maybe they are saved during the church age. Maybe they are saved. Now, they would not be, uh, in a sense, because we know the rapture is going to take place. But here's a group of people that God is going to seal who has set aside who very easily could be the Messianic Jews now who have been set aside for that purpose. Let me, let me just give you this. and There are 20,000 Messianic Jews in Israel today. Worldwide, there are 350,000 of them. There's an estimated 175,000 to 250,000 Messianic Jews in the world today. Uh, and In the United States today, over 350,000 in the world. So we don't know when they're saved. We just know that they are. Uh, it, it would kind of go against the grain of the teaching of the rapture if they were saved during the church age. But at the same time, we know they are Jews, and we know they are going to be what we would call and, and recognize today even Messianic Jews because they are people that believe that Jesus is their Messiah. They're not looking for their Messiah. Uh, they know who he is, and, and he is Jesus. And by the way, um, David and I have met a few of them. Uh, they are not... Uh, quiet and silent and, sh- and, and, and shy about what they believe. If you've ever heard Messianic Jews sing, it's some of the most joyful singing you've ever heard in your life. So, so for whatever reason, we don't know when they are saved, but there's an indication that it could be, uh, it, it could be um, uh, during, the, during the preaching, uh, it could be that, that, that all these things are going through, their eyes have been opened, they've been enlightened, but we know that there's 144,000 of them. They're identified in verses 4 through verse 8. So, so they're sealed in verse 2. They're identified in verses 4 through 8. Now let me just give you a couple of passages. Jeremiah, uh, you remember, I think we read this one not long ago, 31, that was talking about if you can measure the span of the sky and of the oceans and those sorts of things. Um, and, and, and the idea behind it is, is I will never, ever, ever forget my people. 
Um, and in the book of Romans chapter 11, verse 26, it talks about him, them being his people forever. Now, I want to show you something here because it becomes, this, this, is, this is what becomes interesting to me, okay? Uh, look at Genesis chapter 32 with me, if you would. Genesis chapter 32. I, I'm just going to give you a little quick history lesson here. In Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 24, we know that uh, Isaac had two sons. Abraham had, had one, Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And you know all the story behind Jacob and Esau and, and all those kinds of things. But the fact of the matter is, Jacob became the son with which the blessing fell. Okay? So he's Jacob. We have the situation here where he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. Y'all remember that story. He's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. When he saw that he had not prevailed, this is verse 25 against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then he said, what is your name? Something very interesting there because there is confession about to take place because you remember there's been a couple of times, and especially one, when he fooled his father that he didn't say his name was Jacob. He told his father his name was Esau. He lied about his name. So the first thing the angel of the Lord, I said, okay, we're going to have a little confession here. What is your name? And he says, I am Jacob. Okay? Uh, which is kind of interesting. He got, the, the angel of the Lord draws out a confession. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with the Lord, with God, and with men, and have prevailed. So, so at the wrestling of the angel, with the angel of the Lord, Jacob becomes Israel. Okay? This all kind of lines up here. Because Israel had 12 sons. The 12 tribe, one of the, the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? So, so Jacob becomes Israel when he is wrestling with the Lord. The Lord changes his name. And then if you'll go over to Genesis 49, I want to show you something here because here's where the discrepancies kind of, kind of fall in. If you're not careful, you'll miss the whole point, okay? So Israel, Jacob, has 12 sons. Now, when Jacob comes to die, Jacob calls all of his sons together and he speaks prophecy over them or he speaks their future over them. You remember that these, these 12 tribes, when they finally took the promised land, each got a portion of that land. Over in, the, in, in chapter 48, it becomes important because you've got to remember these two names. Um, Ephraim and Manasseh. Remember those two names because those were Joseph's sons. And you remember that Jacob blessed those two boys. And in the blessing of those two boys, he, he was to reach out his right hand on the oldest and his left hand on the youngest. But what did he do? He did that. And you remember Joseph, Joseph kind of stopped him and said, you, you can't do that. You've done no, Jacob said, no, what I've done, I've done. Although the older is going to have his own nation, the younger is going to be greater than the older, even in that. So, so you go through, and if you, would, if you want to, just real quickly, in chapter 49, in verse 3, he mentions Reuben. 
In verse 5, he, he put Simeon and Levi together. That's three. Then in verse 8, he mentions Judah. In verse 13, Zebulun. In verse 14, Issachar. 16, Dan. 19, Gad. 20, Asher. Naphtali, verse 21, Joseph in verse 22, and Benjamin in verse 27. Twelve, okay? Those are the twelve sons of, uh, uh, of Israel. Those are the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, if you were to go over into the book of Revelation, you will see that it changes. Dan is not mentioned in Revelation. So, well, why is that? Well, you know what? You weren't listening when we went through Judges, were you? Dan fell into immorality and made idols. And um, so he's not mentioned. He's not even represented in the, in the book of Revelation. Um. In Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 16, just make a notation of this. In Jeremiah, this is Jewish thought here, okay? I'm not, I don't know whether it's true, I don't know whether it's not true. This is just Jewish thought. There is a passage of Scripture there that basically say that it, makes, it is making reference to Antichrist. And the name Dan is mentioned in that verse along with it. There are some who believe in Jewish thought that the Antichrist will come from the tribe of Dan, which is why Dan is not mentioned in the book of Revelation. I'm not sure that's true or not. I, I'm not sure the Antichrist will even be a Jew, okay? Uh, we'll look at some things we go through Revelation, and we'll talk about that, that little puzzle. But, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that's one of the reasons that, that old Jewish thought believed that Dan is not mentioned in Revelation because... Uh, it mentions him along with a, a, a passage that has reference to the Antichrist. They believe that Antichrist will come from the tribe of Dan. Also, if you go through, Levi is mentioned. Levi is not mentioned in the, the tribes that possess land because the Levites were to draw their, um, their living and their life off of, off of all the other tribes. They were, they were the tribe of the priests. And so they didn't take possession of a lamb, but, but all the other tribes were to take care of them. And so if you go through and you begin to look at this, Joseph is mentioned. Um, and uh, let, let's just let, let's flip back over there real quick because I want to make sure we get this right. I want to make sure you all kind of understand where we're at. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh. There is um, one of Joseph's sons, but Joseph is mentioned, but Ephraim is not. So, so there are still 12 tribes here that are mentioned. Why is Ephraim not mentioned? Well, uh, Ephraim uh, was a, uh, one of the tribes of Israel that was almost totally annihilated. Uh, and, and they just, I mean, it's just one of those things where that was just almost put out of commission, the whole, the whole tribe. But there's a whole lot of stuff you can go about. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, Levi is mentioned, Dan is not, Manasseh is mentioned, Joseph is mentioned, Ephraim is not mentioned. 
the fact of the matter is they are still 12 of the tribes of Israel, okay? Now, here's another interesting thing. Because these 12,000, if you'll just think with me for a minute, there's not a Jew today who can trace his ancestry back to his original tribe. You know why? Because in A.D. 70, when Titus, the Roman general, came in, he destroyed all of the temple documents. But it don't matter because God knows who they are, okay? And God says that they will be from these different 12,000 from this tribe, 12 from this, 12 from this, 12 from this. So, so it's kind of interesting as you begin to go through. Um, but they are, they're sealed and then they're identified. Now, lastly of all, and, and this one's kind of, this, this one's going to take us over to Revelation chapter 14. It, it gives their, I call it their qualifications, um, but it just, it, um, it identifies their character. Who are these 144,000? Now, here's something kind of interesting. Because in Revelation chapter 14, you have the 144,000 standing on Mount Zion, which is heaven. You got the 144,000 in heaven in the 14th chapter. Okay? They, they are, he seals them on the earth in chapter 7. They're standing before the throne and the Lamb on Mount Zion in Revelation 14. Now, look at this. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. Why their foreheads? Well, the face is typically the body part that we all associate with who that person is. It's one of the most visible, most conspicuous places to place a mark. So there's no doubt whatsoever that these people are, uh, have been sealed by God himself, okay? Because they got, they got, he says, having, having the name um, uh, and the name of his father written upon their foreheads. So, so he, he moves on down. Then I heard the voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of a loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. It's, it's, a, it's a joyous sound. Uh, harps, are, harps are attached to prophecy um, in, in, in prophetic writing. Now, look at this. I think this is interesting. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. They... I believe it had to be a song about redemption, obviously. But it's kind of interesting here because they are singing. They're the ones leading in the worship right now, and everybody else is enjoying it. Um, these are the ones, and here, and here they go, who have not defiled themselves with women, uh, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God, and to the Lamb, and no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Now, let's just look at these for a minute. First of all, they are purchased. They are a purchased group of folks. Verse 3. And they sang a new song before the throne for the four living creatures and elders. No one could learn the song except the ones in the 44,000 who had been purchased, been purchased from there. How were they purchased? Same way we're purchased, folks. 
These 144,000 are going to be saved just like you are. There's only one way to salvation. It can't be any other way. God doesn't call somebody out and say, well, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be under the blood. because you, No, look, it's the same way. They have to have accepted the work of Jesus Christ for their salvation. Okay? They are purchased. You are purchased. It means bought with a price. You, you are, we talked a little bit about even uh, in Hosea last week where, where Gomer was purchased out of the slave market. That's us. That's a picture of salvation. So, so they are purchased. They are prepared. Okay, they are prepared. Remember it says over in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 7 that they have been set aside. Don't do anything until we seal until we seal these people with the seal of our God. And so they are, they are prepared people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. Behold, a lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his name, and the name of his father written on their foreheads. Now, here's something kind of interesting. There's 144,000 of them, and we'll look at this in just a moment because we'll, we'll find that they are protected next. So I'll just jump to that one next. They are protected. They are experiencing terrible things during the tribulation, but they are they're protected. doesn't mean that they are protected. They're not harmed. It doesn't mean that they're not chased. It doesn't mean that they're, they're not maligned. The fact of the matter is... Um, they are going to be preserved through, through the tribulation, not out of the tribulation. Okay, same way, same way with the, the Hebrew boys over in the book of Daniel. They had to go through the fire. They weren't taken out of the fire. They were through the fire. But God even preserved them through that. 144,000 standing on Mount Zion, not 144,999. God sealed 144,000. God brings 144,000 home. Now look. If you are sealed, then God's going to bring you home. If you've been saved, you're, you're going home. Quit. You know, we need to quit wrestling with this idea of, well, I'm not saved, and I, am I saved here, and can I lose myself? Forget about it. You are sealed. And let me show you this. Ephesians chapter, um, I wrote this one down. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And let me just run this one by you real quick. Because it basically is talking about not grieving the Holy Spirit, okay? And, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Write this down. How are we sealed for the day of redemption? The Holy Spirit is the seal. Okay? You're marked with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your seal. Okay? Does that make sense? Is that good? That's pretty good stuff right there. You know, it's like, okay, well, I'm looking for a mark. No, there's not a mark. The mark is the Holy Spirit. He is the seal. Okay? So they are, they are, they're sealed. They are purchased. They are prepared. Uh, they, they are sealed on their foreheads. They are chosen. Now, um, they're protected. They are, they are standing in heaven in triumphant um, victory. There's 144,000 of them. That's all. No more, no less. They are pure. 
Look at verse 4. They're pure. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women. So, you know what? They're probably men. Could they be men and women? I'm sure. But they just, they have not defiled themselves. Now, look, folks, this doesn't mean they are sinless. When it says that they have not defiled themselves, it doesn't mean they're sinless. What it means is they are above reproach in front of all men. There is no accusation that can be brought against them. Think about it. And, and the good part about it is there's a whole lot of men today that can bring accusation against us, but when we get to heaven, there's not a man that can bring an accusation against you. That's, that's a good thought. So they are, they're pure. They're not, they're not sinless, but they are above reproach. They are persistent. Look at verse 4. For they have kept themselves chaste. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They follow the Lamb under almost impossible circumstances. But the shepherd is leading them through this time, and they are following Him. Do you you remember Jesus even saying, My sheep know my name, and they follow me? It's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, wouldn't wouldn't it be great to get to heaven one day and be told and be congratulated and to be thanked for following the Lamb wherever He goes. I'm going to tell you something. There's too many times I'll take a detour. Because sometimes the Lamb will carry you where you don't want to go. Sometimes He'll carry you into the middle of somebody's mess. Well, if you're following Him, then you're right where you need to be. They are persistent. They are preachers. They're preachers. Look back over real quickly in chapter 7. And in verses 1 through 8. Again, we won't read them all. But they are, they are, they are witnesses. He, um, until these angels have sealed them, um, th- th- just hold on to that. They are bondservants. They are witnesses. They are, they are preachers. You say, well, how do you know that? Because look what follows in verse 9. I, I, I think, and look, I, I could be totally wrong, but I think that what follows is an indication that what's followed is connected to what was before it. So look at verse 9 then with me. Then, then um, uh-oh. Um, I'm at 14 again? Yes, 14. No, I'm not. I'm in 7, 1 through 8. See, I'm just all over the place. Look at verse 9 of chapter 7. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There's got to be a connection there to me. When I look at that, I go from 8 to 9. You've got 144,000 preachers, 144,000 witnesses who have gone out throughout the whole earth. And now all of a sudden, right after that, you've got a multitude of people that no man can number. Will there be salvations during the tribulation? Yes, absolutely yes. People will be saved. We saw that last week, the souls under the altar, those who were martyred for their testimony. So there will be people to be saved. I I just believe there's a connection with 144,000 and this great multitude. Now, they're sealed for a period of time. For a period of time, you know, for the tribulation period. 
for a purpose. And the reason I call them preachers is because I think there's a connection here with Matthew, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. I, I'll never forget when um, I started really thinking about the second coming of Christ and the signs before his coming and those sorts of things. And, and, and I was like everybody else. I, the rapture was just off of my radar for some reason. And I was looking for those things that would give me an indication that it's getting close, you know, and so the excitement could build. But in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, there is a, there's a little prophetic verse there that says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. I believe it's going to be the 144,000 that are going to go into the whole world, to every nation, and preach the gospel to every body. You know, we've gone before and we've talked about, well, you know what, we've got all these languages, we got this, we got that. But the fact of the matter is, the end won't come until it is preached to every nation. And the uh, fact of the matter is, today there are, there are nations who haven't heard it. There are places that, haven't, that don't have the gospel. Uh, there, are, there are places where the gospel's been shut out. But in that day, the, the gospel's going to be preached. People are going to come to know Jesus. And then he says, when everybody during that time has had the opportunity to hear the gospel, then, then the end will come. So um, before the Lord's return... Every nation, every people, every language is going to hear the gospel. Okay? Are we good? Any questions? Any comments? Somebody jump up and help me out here. Uh, that's a possibility. Yeah. Any questions? Everybody good? Everybody totally confused? Does that make any sense at all? Here, here's the thing. I, I, if you get right down to it, here's the bottom line. God is never without his witness. You say, well, tribulation period, all the believers are gone. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seal 144,000 then. Um, yeah, because he's working on the Jews, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Gentiles are... Gentiles are in, a, if they're still here, they're in a heap of trouble, whatever that is. Working with the Jews, preaching the gospel. You know what? They, the 144,000 priests, there are two witnesses that are coming. We'll look at them. They will preach the eternal gospel. We'll talk about all the things the gospel is called in the New Testament. And then when that's not enough, there's going to be an angel that's going to fly through there and preach the everlasting gospel. So, so here, here's, here, here's the idea behind all that for me. Nobody in hell will ever be able to say, I didn't have a chance. Nobody. You say, well, what about those who haven't heard? Well, what about them? Is God merciful? Is God gracious? Sure he is. And God's going to do what's right. God's going to act in grace and he's going to act in mercy. I don't know the answer to that question. I just know the answer to this. Those who have heard need to be worried about what they're doing or what they know and be worried about those who haven't heard. And there is some teaching out there, and David can share that with you if you want to talk to him, where there are a lot of, lot of people who believe that they have heard. So anyway, all right, hey, thanks for being here. I love you guys. Let's have a word of prayer.
Lord, thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for this time that you've given us to study it. We pray, Heavenly Father, it would bring encouragement to us. We're just seeing the pieces of the puzzle fit together. We see, we're seeing how your word, your story, and this book that you've given us just fits together from, from cover to cover. Uh, Lord, it's just another, another indication that uh, you're in control. You know what you're doing. Everything will be exactly like you want it to be. Um, Father, we just thank you for saving us. We thank you when we see this that um, we won't have to be in the middle of that. But uh, we know that if we're not about doing your business, that some of our loved ones will be. So, Father, give us opportunity to share. Um, bring people to yourself. Um, and may we just be the instruments and the vessels that you use to point people to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.